0: This podcast is a presentation of University of California Television. Like what you hear? Consider making a donation at uctv.tv
1: donate so we can continue to bring you more great programs.
2: I am going to introduce briefly uh, myself, and then we're going to talk with our very wonderful panelists here. We're going to talk about lived experiences of those who have the privilege, the opportunity and also the challenge of experiencing being a sibling of someone on the autism spectrum. Um, First, uh, a few words about my own experience. Um, I'm an associate professor at the AJ Drexel Autism uh, Institute in Philadelphia. I do research on interventions for uh, children on the autism spectrum And the reason why I pursued this this career path is because of my experience growing up with two brothers who were diagnosed with autism in the late 80s in my country, in Italy. And back then, the idea uh, was that autism was caused by parents. And the consequence of that belief, which proved to be mistaken, but it was perpetuated for many decades, the consequence was that when my true brothers were diagnosed, um, the only advice that my family received from professionals uh, at the time was that my mother should just quit her job. She was a medical doctor, so that she could be around um, my brothers and I would have cured their their autism. And this is just one example about on, on why If we don't rely on science, we also end up violating human rights and children's rights, like my children's, my my brother's right to receive interventions and services and supports. Um, Enough about myself. The reason why I mentioned that is because being a scientist helped me understanding the knowledge that is available um, currently to facilitate well-being of individuals on the autism spectrum. But being a sibling is a reality check. It forces you to put that knowledge into the real experience, the context of what it's like to experiencing autism, to be impacted by autism. So um, now I'm going to ask our panelists to introduce themselves, and then we're going to start our conversation and Janice, I see you first in my in in my screen, so go ahead. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: I am a mother. I am a mother of seven. I am the founder of special needs siblings. We are based out of Atlanta, Georgia. We support siblings um, of those with developmental disabilities. Um, We provide resources, raise awareness, and really gather support um, where they can share their voice and where their needs can be heard. I am also in, in Atlanta. I work in marketing professionally, but I'm the executive director of Special Needs Siblings, and I'm excited to be able to share from a parenting perspective and also a community supporting perspective.
2: Thank you, Janice. Heather,
1: you're next. Hello, everyone.
0: Thank you so much um, for the opportunity to be here. So I have always had autism in my life. My little brother uh, was diagnosed when he was six, my little brother Joe. He really was the template of what I thought about for autism, you know, until I started to be a therapist myself and started to work um, with children on the autism spectrum um, during my college years. And... You know he taught me so many things through through um you know through my um upbringing about different ways of being in the world about his psychology about you know so many unique talents that he has um but also a lot about his struggles and you know his difficulties with social skills you know adaptive skills and and certainly mental health um and really has has shaped my my life shaped my career. Um, I became interested in autism research when I was doing um, psychology undergrad. Um, Now I am an assistant professor at the Penn Center for Mental Health at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, I do autism research focusing on social-emotional development in kids with autism and mental health and programs to help um, support their development. So, yeah, thank you for the opportunity to be here.
2: Thank you, Heather and Eric.
3: Uh, So for myself, I'm a sibling, I have an older sister uh, that has a developmental disability. And for me, it was a little bit later in life where my family experience brought me into uh, focusing more on supporting other families. Um, where there's a a loved one with a developmental or intellectual disability, including autism. Um, so it wasn't really till my late twenties that, uh, that I started working with families and, um, really started working with my family actually, because my family fell into a crisis where my mom being the primary caregiver just burned out. And, um, she called me looking for support, and uh, I jumped in and to support uh, my family to find a solution moving forward, and so my for my sister create a life of her own, um, and that led me into working with other families. So today um, I have an org- organization called Empowering Ability, um, where I teach families how to create an awesome ordinary life with their loved one, um, and create a, a life plan with their loved one.
2: Thank you so much for for sharing this background. Now, um, being a sibling means opportunities, life-changing opportunities, changes in in perspectives, but it also means challenges. Um, And what I would like to to hear a little bit from you is how you navigate one of the main challenges, which is the potential for loneliness or being disconnected from other families or from other individuals who have life experiences that are very uh, different Uh, and basically the risk of isolating yourself as a family. And uh, Janice, what is your perspective on that?
1: Well, it's interesting you would say that. Um, I didn't even mention that uh, my family of seven, my second oldest son is autistic and he actually has epilepsy as well. So when I started the organization, it was really because I noticed that the my other children were feeling isolated and they were feeling like they were feeling, um, they were expressing themselves in unhealthy ways. And I didn't realize at first that there was something that was um, going on with them internally. And as a parent, the first thing I thought was, you're fine. You're OK. Why are you um, why are you acting out in certain ways? Not realizing that the fact that um, when my son was younger, you know, there are certain things we couldn't go to um, as a family or we might have to leave early. And there are these just different things I thought I was protecting them from by not communicating with them about their brother um, and his disability and raising that awareness, not realizing that I should be talking to them and educating them and sharing with them, but also finding other families and creating a community of support where they can also have um they, they also have people to understand what they're going through and their experiences within our family unit. I could find support as a parent very easily, online and networks. I'm an adult and I can express myself and my feelings. My children my children did not have that. Um, and they didn't have the, the words to be able to say, I need help or I just want extra attention and I want you to see me too, um, without feeling guilty. Honestly. And so creating in those spaces is so was so important for me. And that was another reason why I began the organization that we have now. But the feeling of uh, isolation and loneliness, I think that is um, it's very real. And it's something that we don't always talk about, but we should.
2: Thank you for sharing this perspective. I, I think in general, we haven't talked enough about the feeling of disconnection and and loneliness that can be the consequence of any experience that is not ordinary. And being, you know, having autism in in the family is not ordinary experiences. And and because different individuals uh, have very different um, ways of being autistic too and being siblings too, that creates even more... Uh, complexity when it comes to relate your own feelings and your experience with that of of your peers and 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 your friends and eric what is your perspective on on this topic
3: yeah for my personal experience i don't know if i felt the feeling of being like isolated or, or or lonely but upon reflection it's my family experience is definitely not really something that i talked about uh, with anyone. Um, I didn't, I might've known other families or other people that also may have been siblings, but we didn't also didn't talk about our experiences together. And it wasn't until I was, I think 30, that I actually had like a a meaningful conversation with, uh, with another sibling that had a loved one with a, with a disability and shared our actual experiences. And, that was a really enlightening conversation. It's like, well, I, I don't know why I haven't talked about these things before, but um, it was helpful to, to talk about those things. Um, so, yeah, I think for a lot of it, I just kind of held on to that family experience in fear of maybe people that, uh, friends, uh, other family members that wouldn't understand it. Um, or maybe I might have approached it at some point in time and maybe they didn't understand it. I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. But um that was my experience.
2: Thank you. Well, I will add one thing, um, is that there's there's another layer that I think it's 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 uh, perhaps more more recent that I'm experiencing, is that when I started my journey uh, in in the the world of autism, being aware that that was what my brothers were diagnosed with and all of that. Um, Autism was attached to extremely negative connotations. So to say you have a brother who is autistic, it meant some kind of depressing conversation. And so I will naturally avoid that conversation if I wanted to have a conversation that was not depressing. And that was the 90s, and that was not just the 90s, and that was until recently. Now today autism is attached to more positive connotations or to a combination of of societal views in which the conversation and the narrative is no longer exclusively about challenges and difficulties and deficits and impairments. We're celebrating strength, which is great. But there's another layer, and this is something I'm hearing a lot from, from the people I talk with, which is The kind of autism that people talk about often is um, something that you might not recognize in your sibling. For example, if you start a conversation about your sibling being diagnosed with autism and someone say, oh, like Bill Gates, like Elon Musk, like all of this celebrity autism, that can create even more disconnection, even if it comes from a good place of celebrating success and achievement the the idea that your own conversation your own experience your own life um experience does not necessarily connect to that level or 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 that connotation of success can create additional feelings of disconnection or not feeling connected with that conversation sorry heather go ahead
0: so yeah in terms of loneliness I think in especially in when I was younger you know I'm I'm a year and a half older than than my brother and so he, when he was young you know I was young and I didn't really understand um autism like he didn't understand his autism and when I would be at like elementary school you know he um would have behaviors at at school and you know my my peers just wouldn't understand that and they would be you know, like teasing me like what's going on with your brother even when i was in high school people just like kind of didn't quite get what was going on with him and also you know he he experienced a lot of loneliness at school and so and he was bullied and i remember seeing one day um kids throwing rocks at him and you know just how horrible that felt for for me and for him and you know i tried to run over and help him but you know no nobody really understood um where I was coming from. I think that, I mean, I understood that I, I want to protect my brother, of course, but not why he was getting bullied or they didn't really understand his behaviours, why he was doing certain things. And so I think that kind of psychological loneliness, even if we weren't really isolated, um, you know, in our family, we would still go out to places and, and things like that. But But, yeah, people would just not understand, you know, in the general community and and people that were close to me, even if, um, you know, sometimes they're really trying to understand. They just didn't know that because they were not a sibling themselves.
2: Thank you. And that takes me to the the next theme that I wanted to to bring up, which is um, we often, when we talk about autism and when we talk about families, we talk about what needs to change in the person who is diagnosed with autism or in the family? Uh, but the conversation I want to have is what needs to change in the society where the, the the you know the child belongs to the family but the family belongs to a larger context. And so is your experience that the society is ready or well equipped, or has the knowledge and the resources that we need for our siblings to experience a successful feeling of belonging and the help that they need in the society? Or if it's not, what, what needs to change? Janice?
1: Um, well, I would say, first off, that it's not um, ideal still. I think we still have a lot of work to do. Um, as a society, as a community um, in general. But I think having conversations like this is where it starts and um, giving people spaces to share stories without judgment and without fear or shame um, and realizing that everybody's perspective and experience is different, but they all are valuable. And we all can kind of relate somewhere. And it's interesting when you talk about like the celebrity autism or things you see on the news or that are shared on social media. And that's not what your life, your home life looks like. And kind of feeling like, okay, I can't share this, my home life because people are gonna think I'm complaining or I'm saying something wrong or it's it's mean, or it's cruel when if we create spaces like similar to this one and have more conversations where it's just a reality of what it is and then we can start deciding like okay so how can we improve what could providers do um what kind of different conversations can be had and how can we have them um i think sometimes just asking how are you and acknowledging you know that you have different types of feelings um Even when Eric was just saying like he didn't have conversations like this with other siblings and creating those spaces where siblings feel like this part of my life, I can actually share comfortably and confidently without fear. (laughs) And I think that that's just such a powerful thing because I think things change when we start sharing and communicating with each other and creating platforms to be able to um, just talk. And we don't know what's happening behind closed doors. And another thing I know we like to do is hide. So we like to cover stuff and pretend like it's better than it is or whatever. But taking the Band-Aids off and the mask off and just being raw with things and transparent, I think there's a lot of power in in that change. So those are my perspectives on that.
2: I couldn't agree more. Eric, what needs to change in the society,
3: in the communities? the big question can you give me a magic wand and <laughs> we can make it happen um so i think things are slowly shifting in in a positive direction i think a big challenge is that people that uh experience uh, experience autism people that have intellectual and developmental disabilities are still othered in our society a big problem uh or cause for that is there's all these Special programs, special places that we're told as families that our loved one has to go to. So the day program, the special group activity, the uh, group home, right? Like we're told that those are the as families. Like when I first started learning, at well, how do we support my sister to live her own life? Those are the only options that I knew of, right? And still, until I started learning and, and digging deeper, so. Um, when those are the only options presented to you as a, as a family, like, and those are the only options that other people in society know about, well, you know, as a, as a family, if we're thinking about, well, how do we create a, a a home for Sarah outside of our family home? If we talked to anybody, they said, well, isn't there a group home available, right? But that's not actually the best home for my sister. Um, So starting to shift uh, systems so that it, It's not just the special options. It's, well, what is the ordinary option? And how do we support that person? How do we support our family member to experience the ordinary option and get the, uh, live a life and have life experiences just like everybody else has to experience the good things in life. So I think it's a big mindset shift. Um, and starting to break down those special systems and getting into the mindset of how do we help people experience the awesome ordinary life, as I would call it.
2: Absolutely. And Eric, one thing that I always found bizarre is that every time someone who is autistic or who has any disability enjoys something, then you call it a therapy. If my brothers like music, it's music therapy. If they like to go horseback riding, is horse therapy. You can just enjoy something like everybody else. The question is, how do we ensure that our siblings have the same opportunities as everybody else to enjoy what society has to offer? It doesn't have to be an endless stream of therapies. It can be support, services. We need them. We need services and support. But to support what exactly and to support what that is meaningful to that individual, based on their unique ways of being in the world, not just a a, a label of special needs. Heather, what is your perspective on what the society can offer and is actually offering for our siblings?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I definitely agree with what's been said already. I think, Janice, what you were saying about, you know, starting... Um, you know, and talking about your experience and, and sharing it within your community, I think that really helps to, to shape people's, you know, perspective and see, you know, not the, um, that person as the other, but, you know, to start to feel empathy and to, you know, experience what is, what is, it is like for people who have, um, you know, an individual on the spectrum or, you know, with intellectual disability. In your family, I think you know. For the society at large, I think there's a lot of default systems that, um, you know, as Eric, you were saying, that they get put into um, just because they have a diagnosis, which is not always the right thing for them. Um, We work a lot in the school district of Philadelphia, and you know, this district is not any different from from many other districts where, if you have an autism diagnosis or a classification of autism. You're automatically put into an autism support classroom with other children on the spectrum, and although they're supposed to be, you know, um, you know the um, you know the LRE, the 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 least res, um, restrictive environment for all in, individuals, that's not really actually implemented the way that it should be. So, you know, what often happens is that you have an individual who, you know. Is, is right, you know, a really good candidate for being included at least part of the day, you know, in a general education setting so they can learn more about, you know, social skills and, and adaptive skills from their um, neurotypical peers. But that's not happening because they defaulted to only being in the other classroom. So I think it's about, you know, talking within our communities. I think it is talking about um, you know, what the, the rights of individuals on the, on the autism spectrum have to inclusive education and inclusive, you know, everything, um, you know, and thinking about, you know, breaking down those default kind of systems that put them in those places in the first place. Um, You know, and that's that's within education. But then also, you know, thinking about adults in the workforce. You know, my brother, he is interested in being out in the community. Um wants to, you know, he wants to participate. Um, He, through a therapist that um, was really great at thinking about his special interests, um, started to collect cans in his community. And so he started to uh, really um, uh, be a part of the community and and being the person who would sort of help to to clean up and you know got in a little bit of pocket money and and that's been really great for his self esteem and sort of integration with you know the whole community around him um, but obviously that's you know it's not much money for him and he has um certainly the um the skill set to to be in a workplace but there's never been the right um pathway for him to do to do that and and a lot of places have closed their doors to him because they didn't really know how to support him within the workforce. And so I think, you know, having those supports for adults as well, um, you know, it's really something that needs to needs to change. And I think that's through awareness and it's through services um, and it's through our perspectives about, you know, accepting difference in the community. So that's what I hope will change. And I think starting with those conversations and and allowing people to know, more about, you know, our loved ones. I think that that really is a starting place.
3: Heather, there's just a can I just yeah. build on what Heather was saying there? Yeah, sure. go ahead. Um, so what you're sharing around your brother contributing to society is part of the key to that change, right? Because often somebody has disabilities such as autism. They can be seen as uh, a taker from society. Or um, you know, if they're getting some sort of social assistance, right? They're they're devalued because of that by by society, right? There's that snap judgment that's made, um, and that person's devalued. But when somebody with a disability is seen as a contributor, right? Whether that's through employment, through volunteering, through cleaning up their community, that starts to put the image of a valued citizen into the minds of other people. So when we support our loved ones to be contributors, that helps them to build valued roles, which helps them to be seen more positively in a more positive light by society, which helps to change the conversation. So I think it's really important what you're sharing, Heather. Um, I
2: was going to say pretty much the same thing, but I was also going to, to add something that Heather mentioned is how adults on the autism spectrum and adults with disability are supported and how the society is is very slowly uh, changing their their attitudes when it comes to things like employment. This is so important for a sibling to imagine that your sibling will be able to be employed. Now, when it comes to younger children, we do see some some more rapid change, perhaps, in the kind of services and supports that 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 are becoming available. There is more. There is more research on on younger children and and so on. Um, and perhaps people have the wrong idea. The wrong idea that a younger child on the autism spectrum can learn many things and become a, a very successful individual because you're starting um, at a very young age. And then if you are an adult then you are suddenly not learning anything else. This is absolutely wrong. Um, adults on the autism spectrum can and will learn new things. The thing that makes one of my brothers the happiest in the world is, is, is going on a, on a bicycle, is bike riding, something that he learned in his 30s. Or or um, um, I, I can make many examples of things that people st- will think about teaching when children are younger and then f- for some reason they stop thinking that this is something you should teach and encourage and, and, and so on.
0: Um, I just want to add to that point because I think that's a really important point. I think that you know providers who are working with adults, um, you know, we've experienced that with my brother, where he, uh, he does live in his own space, but he needs daily support to be able to be there. And, you know, part of that is, you know, adaptive skills like cooking and things like that. And often the providers that come over to help him, they think about their role as being um, not an educator, but someone to make their, their life more comfortable. So they will cook the food for them. And we've worked really hard to be like, we don't want you to do it for them, for him. He can do it. He just needs support to be able to do it. So can you help teach him to do that? And it's it's been, with every single person who comes on the team, it's a new conversation because that is often, you know, what they are used to doing with their other adults that they work with. Um And, you know, Joe has an intellectual disability. He does need a lot of structure around that learning, but he can certainly learn those things. And he has learned, and now he can, you know, now he can cook for himself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really certainly not, it's going against the grain as to, you know, the way that people conceptualize adults on the spectrum.
2: And services and, and supports, uh, you know, it, it, it goes back to the, to the idea of options. Do we have options? Can we have options that are helpful for the well being of that particular person? Um, and adapted to, to the individuals in my, you know, my brothers now, they live with my parents after they tried different services and they didn't work for them. One of my brothers have very profound health care, substantial health care needs. He has seizures, very frequent seizures that are not responsive to therapy. Uh, and basically, they are currently in the only option that is available to them, which is my almost eight-year-old parents being with them my parents soon will will need care themselves. And this is basically, you see how the tragedy is not autism, the tragedy is unmet needs of families who have someone on the autism spectrum. And to change that, we need to change the narrative about what are the path to success? What does it mean? How can we provide support and services that work for the entire family and for different individuals, and we also need to have realistic conversations about how needs and resources change over time, including availability of caregivers and and siblings as well. Which takes me to the next topic that I wanted to um, to, to to raise, which is what happens when. For a number of reasons, siblings and immediate family members might not be able to provide this, the, the care and advocacy that our loved ones need.
1: I want to say that even listening to the conversations from, I'm not a sibling, and I'm a parent on the panel, and I'm just listening to all of you sharing your different perspectives and realizing how important it is to teach advocacy and to teach the things that we learn as parents to the entire family unit and not um, waiting until we think, um, or teaching it at age appropriate levels to our kids. And how you were saying, even um, for a child um, on the spectrum, the type of resources that are available and the type of services that are provided and how they drastically decline after a certain age, and it's not available. And realizing that putting services and supporting siblings along this journey, how important that is for the whole family, because you're acting as adv- you advocate on their behalf. And if we have siblings that care enough, um, that want to share and that want to be a part of this Of a plan and trying to figure out navigate a system, how much stronger we could be as a society and um, being able to give. So I just had to throw that before I go on to this next part of the question. Just listening to y'all share that, just I don't know. Just it's just it's amazing to see and to be able to witness and knowing that it wasn't like this 20 years ago, and I'm praying that even 20 years from now it won't be like this it is now. Can you repeat the actual question? I'm sorry, I just was responding to what you all we were talking about before.
2: No, you know, it was very much related to what you were saying. But what if we are no longer around? Just to say brutally, as as family members, I'm thinking caregivers, but also siblings who might, for a number of reasons, might not be of immediate uh immediately present in the in the support and care um of their siblings it you know what can we do to to manage this complexity or even the thought of 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 this to be honest
1: it's those are one of those are the fears that we have those are the big elephants in the room that nobody likes to talk about um that we have to talk about and I think the best thing we can do is talk about it and having plans in place. Um, right now, it's it doesn't always look great. And like you were saying, Eric, the services that they recommend, that's what happens when you're not around. They're just people are put places and it's just more of a numbers game. And what type of services do you need? What is the bare minimum that society has to do um, to be able to support and not teach? Just like you were saying, um, Heather, um, I don't want you to come and solve the problem. Like, can you be part of the solution? Like, how can we make sure that they, the person, the individual um, is supported? And if they want the support and they wanna help or they wanna be a part of making their own food and they want to learn how to do that, um, listening and having those type of skills. But I think sometimes if you're not here to say anything, and that's a big that's a big p- problem is the way we communicate and how we all think that it's it's just speaking and i think also you we have nonverbal ways of communicating and paying attention to those things paying attention to the gestures using assistive technology um exploring and exhausting every option and realizing that if you're not present and if we haven't put plans in place and we're not being proactive, somebody else is just going to come in and they're not going to do, they're not going to, um, they're not going to respect your decisions. And half the time, they probably won't respect your loved ones either. And it's a fear, but it's just the truth Um, because they don't care as much as you do. They don't understand. It's not their perspective. It's not their family. And when it's not yours, People just don't care as much. And so we have to be proactive. Like we have to be out here advocating. We have to share. We have to make sure that we're causing noise and making a fuss and saying something because nothing is going to change um, if we're not doing that. So I think that um, having that in the back of your mind that if, yeah, if I'm not here, I don't want to live in fear or scared or anything, but I'm also not going to live in a way where I'm gonna be silent either. Because one day the truth is I won't be here. <laughs> one day I won't be here. And I don't know what will happen, but this is what I want, this is what I desire. These are things I'm gonna put in place and um, and find out. And even in, um, in, in I'm in Atlanta and our communities, even communities of color, we are, the resources are just not around. And sometimes we just don't know and, having those uncomfortable conversations i say this all the time you have to have uncomfortable conversations for change it's not going to be fun it's not going to be pretty but it's necessary and once we have them it's like okay now we've said it so what next (laughs) so
2: this is very important and again it 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 reminds me how important it is that to remind people we, we talking about challenges doesn't mean that we believe that autism is all about challenges, impairments, deficits, and all of that. Talking about the challenges is talking about health inequities. Our loved ones are receiving fewer educational opportunities, social opportunities, employment opportunities. That is the challenge, is what our communities are able to provide in response to the opportunities and challenges that, that, that come with a diagnosis of autism, including how do we empower our loved ones to be contributors? They can learn, but you know if they don't, it's not because they cannot learn. It's because we're not teaching them in the right way. And the, you mentioned assistive technologies. This is just one of the many things that can create life Changes for those on the autism spectrum, for but for their siblings, too, for the entire family, and for the entire, commu- for the entire community. Heather, what is, what are your thoughts about the, the the future of of our siblings?
0: Yeah, I mean it's certainly something that um, me and my my other siblings have been thinking about, you know, over the last ten years or so. Um, about about ten years ago. My brother was living at home. He was um, almost thirty years old at the time, um, and my mom. You know, we we really worked together to figure out what's what is going to happen. What is our long term plan here? Because he's not going to be able to stay at home forever, and he does need daily support. Um, my sister lives closest to to him, and and is most available. My older sister to to um, to have him potentially at her house and. Um, you know, she has two other kids and, you know, was that really the the best thing? And so we started to think together, okay, maybe he, maybe he can be in his own space. We can think about different services to bring around him so that, that he can, can do that. My family, I'm from Australia. My family lives there. So it's a different situation, you know, in terms of uh, supports there, but we were able to put that together. And so, um, you know, now he is living in his place and he does have um support surrounding. I'm really sorry.
2: I will disclose one detail. The daughter of Heather is also my daughter. We are in two different rooms in the same in the same house. And we met because we met at some point and I told her, I have two brothers diagnosed with autism. And she told me, I have one brother diagnosed with autism. And I said, then we should hang out. And the results of this is is our daughter Luna, who is disrupting the panel, but it's it's still a very romantic thing that I'd like to to talk about.
3: Mm.
2: Anyway, so uh, actually I wanted to talk about positive things that we can change right now, and that will be your advice to our audience about how to help siblings feeling more connected, perhaps with other, siblings but also not necessarily you know you, you, you can be a sibling and have friends who are not sibling themselves who are not part of that dimension uh, but in a space where they can feel safe talking about their experiences, their life experiences um, how do we help um, is thinking about the landscape also of, of, of way uh, individuals connect uh with one another nowadays social media and 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 so on eric i'm gonna start with you how do we create those connections
3: yeah is it okay if i quickly comment on the on the last question it's just it's been burning in my mind and janice i loved how you unintentionally answered the question by reflecting what you're noticing (laughs) from the sibling panels because what you shared was really important in terms of having Conversations with other family members, right? So, so that other people are there around your loved one that are in loving, trusted relationship with your loved one over the long term. Because as as kind of ties back into the first question we're talking about in terms of like loneliness and isolation, like it's the research has shown that people with developmental disabilities are isolated, right? They have one sixth the amount of relationships that uh the average person has. So that's a huge deficit in relationship capital. So if we're not intentional about supporting our loved one to have loving, trusted relationships in their life, that leaves them very vulnerable. And so if what what happens if, if our loved one ends up in the hands of the system, right? If if we don't have those other loving-trusted relationships there, we don't have that plan that Janice was talking about. Um, then our loved one is very vulnerable to some pretty severe uh, in some pretty severe cases of mistreatment, right? Uh, trauma that can occur, harm that it can, can occur to our loved one. So, um, you know, one of the things I work with with families is creating a support circle or a circle of support. And essentially, that's just, you know, having those close intentional relationships around your loved one and developing that over time. So, the risk is, uh, if, we, if we do nothing, the, uh, there's some pretty bad consequences that can happen. Um, but if we're intentional, like Janice was mentioning, um, and having those loving people around our loved one over, around the long term, um, super important. So anyways, just wanted to reiterate on that. Uh, so <laughs> the could you just quickly paraphrase the the second question?
2: Yeah. How can we, can you give any advice? to siblings who might be listening to this conversation about how to create or facilitate uh, connections with with other siblings perhaps, or just in general with other people who that might create a safe space for them to share their experiences and to have the social support that you're talking about.
3: Yeah, Um so there are, you know, organizations such as um, the sibling leadership collaborative in the United States, you know, Janice has created an organization um, in uh, the Atlanta area um, that's helping to make those sorts of connections. So, you know, a Google search to search what might be around, um, or you might be able to connect uh, virtually. I'm from Canada. Uh, There's the sibling, siblings, Canada, it's called now. Uh, So you can look for an organization like that. I think, a very important conversation to be had is with between siblings and parents as well because there's often there isn't that conversation and there's a lot of assumptions that are made um so especially moving into adulthood so i think often you know a parent might assume okay the neurotypical sibling is just going to take over what I'm doing, but that might not be what they want that neurotypical sibling wants to do. So having those sorts of conversations around, you know, how would you like to be involved in your sibling's life? What do you see that role as? How could we support you with that? What other people might we want to bring in and and be around? That support circle piece, right? is also super important for siblings because if there's other loving, trusted relationships engaged in um, our our sibling's life that has a disability, then as a sibling, maybe it doesn't feel like it's all on me anymore, right? There's other people there to be part of that, um, be part of making decisions, be part of kind of that natural support system.
2: And Eric, the the, the other component of this is maybe the sibling, the neurotypical sibling is not planning to have their neurodivergent sibling living with them but it can also be the other way around like we have to wonder when we have uh, someone in their 40s living with their parents is that what the average person in their 40s desires maybe not maybe we need to think about if this person will. Did not have a diagnosis. Is that the living arrangement that we will desire for them? And this is a mindset that we need to, to continue to have. Um, just because you're not talking, for example, like my brothers doesn't mean that the living arrangement with your, uh, older, older parents is the most desirable thing for you. It's the only option, but it's, you know, normally individuals at that age might express that they want to do something more independently. It's a very important point. Um, Janice, what is your advice if there are siblings who are listening to this conversation on how to be connected and feel connected?
1: Well, I I definitely would second Eric talking to your, um, having those conversations. As a parent, I foresee my children having conversations with me. Um, I know we've kind of talked about a little bit I have teenagers now, so now that their brother is 18, um, still home. He hasn't went to college, he's still actually in this system, uh, the school system. But um, you know, things have just changed and they're kind of like walk- watching and curious and asking questions, but creating one from a parent perspective, creating safe spaces to have types of conversations, um, keeping them open ended and creating like even if it's like a journal share where it's like this is how I'm feeling today in the teenage or the kids uh, perspectives. If you're a younger sibling watching this, if you're in college watching this and you're just like, well, my mom's handling it right now, but I haven't really had a conversation with her about this. Have the conversation. Ask the question. Even if you got to send it an email. Um, Parents, be open and know that it's coming, but also don't be afraid of the questions and don't be afraid to have the conversation. Also, self-care. I think it's so important to know that you're not responsible for everything and you don't have to do things by yourself. I think that as parents, sometimes one thing do children do, they model their parents. They model what they see. So what they're seeing, how we're you know, going along this journey and going to therapies and creating spaces for our children and protecting everybody and providing. Sometimes that can be scary for a sibling to look and say, so am I going to just jump into this and this is something that I have to do? Um, Do I want to do this? When do I have to do this? Can I leave home? Can I get married? Um, What does that look like? And These are all very, it just depends on the person and it depends on the sibling and it depends on everybody's different experiences. But realizing that taking care of yourself first, pretty much like that, you know, you're on a flight and you got to, you know, you got to make sure your mask is on because you can't help nobody else. Realizing that self-care really makes a difference even as you're going along this journey and having those conversations is important. Taking care of yourself is important. Creating boundaries is important. Um, You're not your parents. That's just the truth. So everything you've seen your parents do, you may not do it that way. And that's fine. And you have to be able to say that um, and create those boundaries and those safe spaces for yourself. If that's, um, you know, just depending on what the complexities are in your family unit. And all that goes back to having a, a support system around the whole family pretty much um, to make sure that we're all strong and that all um, everybody is served um, equally, but also um, as best as possible because we all want and deserve to live a beautiful life and whatever life we desire that to look like. And I think that that's just important. So, oh, and finding siblings to talk to, is a powerful thing. Um there's nothing like having somebody say, Oh, I get it. I understand. Like I I see you, like for real. Like I like I, I I'm I'm here with you like one on one. And you can do that on a Google search. You can find you can find us online. We look for networks and people's communities and areas everywhere. Um and the beautiful thing about social media is just like we're here, you can do stuff online. And it's m- not more than a conversation sometimes. Sometimes we just need to be heard and feel like somebody's validating our feelings and our experiences, so.
2: And you're doing an amazing work to facilitate that. And I I am so grateful that you mentioned self-care because we can be uh, much more powerful advocates for our siblings if we take care of our mental health as well. You know, I, I, I remember uh, at some point um when I was going through a, a lot of practical challenges with caring about uh my my brothers, and I was basically spending a lot of time with them, thinking, and, and with all the complexities that comes with, with, with seizures and all of that. And I remember at some point I, I had this... Evening where I could go out. And I remember uh, someone told me, do you want to go to, to, to watch a movie? There's this movie about an autistic child. I said, no, I don't want to go to the movie about the autistic child today. I want to have friends and I want to just talk about what, what I experienced, but I don't, I don't need at this point. I need a space where it's not all about that where autism and my brothers are part of my life not the center of my life not the only thing in my life but a healthy and important and life-changing part of my life but not the only thing heather what are your thoughts
0: yeah i think this this relates to what we were talking about before with you know sharing our stories um you know the people are with the people around us i think you know it's it's hard to open up but i think it is very rewarding you know once you um you know you talk through your experience and not everybody's going to understand and that's still the, the the same as what i was saying before when i was in school but um but it's starting to change and you know seek out those communities where that's more likely to happen you know I went into autism research for a reason, you know and I there are a lot of people around you know um Jacobo included, but you know a lot of my colleagues also have a personal connection to autism um and you know conferences I know that there's a lot of Facebook groups as well, which I think um, is a really nice accessible way to reach people um to communicate um about your experience, especially um that can feel a little bit more anonymous, which sometimes it helps with sharing um you know especially if it's a really raw story and you don't necessarily want to want to share that um widely you know and and sometimes that you know that that does help um but yeah just you know trying to to open up as much as possible communicate with the people around you about what you're going through um, you know, if, if something's happening with your sibling and that's affecting what you're doing at work, you know, tell your boss about it. Like, tell what, tell them what's what's going on with you. And and you know, I think more and more, I've found that that um, it really helps to just feel like people um, know, but also that they start to really understand and, and care about what you're going through.
2: Thank you. And and one practical advice if you're a sibling and you're listening to this conversation and you feel like you 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 want to feel more connected to others who share similar life experiences just all of us i i assume this is the same for all of us find us on on google we'll connect you Uh, we'll connect with you and we'll we'll help you connecting with uh, the resources that are available in your community and Again different siblings have different needs and different things that will help them navigate the complexity which again is challenges and opportunities but they're life-changing challenges and opportunities so it's important to have a space where those experiences can be processed can be shared can become a meaningful part of your of your life without being com- overwhelming or taking over your entire life so i feel like this conversation has just started and as it's often the case with me when i ramble i look at the clock and then it's actually oh two minutes left this is this is a very threatening message okay well you know all i can do in these two minutes is to express my uh very very deep uh, gratitude for our panelists unfortunately when people talk about disability you always hear the word inspiring to the level that when i hear the word inspiring it sounds such a cliche i don't want to say it. i don't want to hear it. but this time i will say this was a very inspiring conversation um and a, a, a much more realistic and um I almost I want to say something like liberating experience to feel like um we can still talk about autism and the experience of siblings who have been neglected in the conversations about autism um in a way that feels safe, useful, and that acknowledge the complexity of that experience. So thank you very much, Dana, and thank you, Autism Tree, uh, for the amazing work that you're doing to disseminate knowledge uh, about autism and not just the scientific knowledge, which is absolutely important, but the life experience of those who are uh, impacted by autism in different ways, including siblings. Thank you so much.
1: You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV,